Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelik. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelik. Hello, everyone. I'm Eva Medelik, and welcome to today's show. My guest today is Andy Bomback. And as the Associate Professor of Medicine at Columbia University Irving Medical Center, Andy Bombeck is a physician, writer, father of three small children, that's no small feat, a nephrologist by profession. Andy shows how being a parent like being a doctor has migrated away from a calling towards a job. So he wrote a book that explores the anxiety that plagues modern parents. That book is called Long Days, Short Years, and it offers both a window and a mirror into how 21st century mothers and fathers are trying to enjoy their time and their children because the days are long, but the years are short. And as a parent myself, I can remember thinking, oh my God, when is it going to end? And oh my God, I hope it never ends. And so there is that back and forth. So welcome to the show, Andy. So glad to have you. Oh, thank you, Eva. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about who you are. I know you are a physician, which, you know, thank goodness for your service as well. But who are you outside of what you do? Yeah, outside of what I do. I mean, I think I define myself more by who I am outside of work than who I am inside of work. So first and foremost, I'm, you know, a husband and a father. And that to me is my most important job. Um, So I have uh, an amazing wife who's also a doctor, um, who uh, is also an incredibly important co-pilot. And together we have three small kids. Um, We also have an older stepdaughter. I have an older stepdaughter. um, so four all together, although, um, right now in the house, it's just the three small kids with us and our days are consumed with them. You know, we, we wake up, we get them ready. We go off to our work, we come home, we get, the, we get them fed and put them to sleep. And it seems like those are, uh, things that are just on a repeated cycle all the time. And we try to find moments of, of joy through all the, through all the, the work that that's involved raising them, but it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great amount of work, but it's a, it's great work uh, just raising kids. Um, And I, I try each day to do a better job at it. How old are they? Um, So uh, the youngest is four, the next is seven. And then the oldest of the three smaller kids are 10, but they're all about to turn five, eight and 11. And something that's very weird about our family is that they all have birthdays, within like two weeks of each other in October. So October is a very crazy month in terms of uh, birthday parties and birthday presents. Everybody's sort of vying for even more attention. You know, it's funny you should say that because we are all in within one month in my family too. I have, I have two daughters. They're grown now. As we talked about before we started uh, this session, this, this episode was that my, my children are adulting now, yeah. but we have birthday season that starts July 28th and ends August 23rd. And we are all Leos. And so it's nonstop. And it's even not only my current husband, but my ex-husband is thrown into that mix as well. So uh, I don't know what that says about us, but anyway, so 
in your profession, you're you're a nephrologist, right? And is that is that kidney? That's a, ki- that's a kidney specialist. Yeah, yeah, that's a kidney specialist. So, what problems are you seeing or noticing in parenting, and what made you decide to write a book? So the the genesis is sort of it starts with my previous book. So the last book I wrote was about being a doctor, and it it was just called Doctor, and it was really an exploration of what my profession had become, and I really sort of traced it back over my father's career because he's also a, a physician, and I sort of showed how his career had had seen a major shift in what doctors were doing and then how my um, cohort of doctors was sort of picking up and, and moving on. And I was really just so interested in what it meant to be a doctor now. And, and I learned a lot from writing that book. I, I learned about what I enjoyed about being a doctor. I learned about what I was doing well, but I also learned about what I wasn't doing as well as I would like. And by the time I was done with that book, which was like a you know three to five year process from start to finish, I actually felt that I was better at the job, that I knew the job better. I knew what to expect out of the job and I knew what I wanted from the job. And then right around that time that I was finishing up that book, um, our second child was born, our third child, we started discussing up a third child. And I realized I needed to do the same thing with being a parent. Like I needed to explore that field the way I'd explored being a doctor because I, I wasn't doing the parenting thing as well as I wanted to. And I started just by reading. You know, I, I didn't automatically go into this thinking I was going to write a book about parenting. Um, but I just started reading and reading and reading parenting books. So I'm curious, and- what made you think you weren't doing the job, so to speak, as well as you wanted to? Mostly that it was harder than I thought it should be. Oh, okay. The kids were taking longer to go to sleep. I was giving them way too many snacks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was feeling more exhaustion than, you know, uh, than, than joy on, on certain days. But also, it was more just this idea that I felt stressed and that I felt anxious about just what seemed to be normal parenting tasks. And, and, and I just had this feeling that it shouldn't be this hard. You know, like the people, every people all over the place are becoming parents and we shouldn't all be worried and stressed and anxious about it. And actually that's one of the, the, the first things that, at least for me, that I, I pick up whenever I open up a new parenting book, like an advice book, is there's a sense of relief that these books are out there because they acknowledge that everybody's struggling at, at, in the same way that you're doing. Um, yeah, you're, I, not, you're not alone. You're, you're not you alone, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all struggling. One, one of the books I, I picked up in, in my early parenting journey, because I too was in the, the healthcare uh, industry back in the day when my kids were little, I found this book called The Working Mother's Guilt Guide. Because for me as a mom, uh, and I, you know, and we'll talk about this later, the, the mommy and daddy roles, working as a mom felt incredibly guilty, you know, and we should all of ourselves, well, I should be home, I should be, you know, there for all of these little things that, you know, my babies and toddlers are doing instead of working. And when I read that book, it was so funny, 
and I loved the humor in it. And it really, like you said, gave me that feeling that, well, I'm not the only one experiencing this. We're, we're all, you know, playing the game as best we can, but these feelings are going to be there. And how do we best deal with them? Yeah. No, and I think that's sort of the, the push pull of, of the parenting industry right now. On the one hand, having all of these resources, whether it be books or podcasts or TV shows, it's reassuring to know that those resources are there to help you. But at the same time, the amount of resources can be so overwhelming that there's this anxiety, like I need to make sure I'm, I'm getting the right resource and the best resource. And I need to make sure that I, I'm reading the book that I have to read. So it, it, it's, it's such to me, it's so it's, I pro, when I decided to write about this topic, I, I made a very conscious decision that I'm not a good enough parent, nor does my profession allow me to be put forward as a parenting expert. But what I, so what I decided to do when I wrote about it was I wanted to just sort of dissect it. I wanted to sort of say, well, what is out there right now? And why, is, why are these things out there? And how are people responding to what's out there? And so I think it's fascinating that, you know, compared to 30 or 40 years ago, there are probably, you know, 20 to 30 times more parenting books on each specific subject, you know, whereas a parent 30 years ago who was having problems with their toddler's sleep, maybe had like five to 10 books to choose from. Now there's like 50 sleep books for you to choose just for a two-year-old. And then you move on to the <laughs> sleep book for the four-year-old. And so it's, it's in some ways an incredible time in that you have all these resources, but it's also an incredibly anxiety, anxiety-inducing time because how do you use all these? Re- it's impossible to use all these resources. And how do you decipher which one is the one that's going to give you what you need for your situation? It's like, you know, there's too many choices and that creates that level of overwhelm. So what made your book, what makes your book is probably the best way to say this, um, something that parents are going to want to pick up and read. What's special about it? That's, that's a, that's a great question. So again, it's not going to give a lot of really practical advice. Like it's not going to tell you how to get, you know, little Johnny to eat his vegetables or, you know, little Susie to, um, you know, use please and thank you. Um, There is one chapter at the end where I do compare this field in medicine that's called precision medicine to parenting. And And I use the term precision parenting. And the general gist of that is in the, in the face of this overwhelming amount of resources that I just talked about, the best way, in my opinion, to parent is to really pick and choose what suits your individual child to try to personalize the approach to, to the child in front of you. That's not a very novel idea, but I, that's, that's about as close as I get to giving advice. So what, what would parents get out of a book about parenting that's not a, an advice book? Well, I think it can be helpful just to understand trends and just to sort of take a big picture view of what's going on in parenting. Um, to me, that's always been the kind of books that I gravitate towards, um, whether it be about parenting, politics, sports, music, entertainment. I, I'm interested in these kinds of dissections or analyses where an author is really trying to explore what's going on, ask questions, and maybe not get to perfect answers, but, but just the questioning process itself 
yields important information. So like, you know, for me, like a question that I ask in the book, since we were talking about advice books, is why are so many of these advice books being written by people who don't seem like parenting experts? Like why, why, why are some of the most popular advice books written by behavioral economists or, um, you know, written by um, neurobiologists and, um, you know, why are we looking to, to sort of outside fields for parenting advice when, if, you know, if you think about it, who should we be going to? We should be going to our own parents or elders in our family. We should be going to the teachers that our kids are going to, talking to people at our churches or temples. Like the more traditional advice givers have sort of become old fashioned or out of, out of touch. And now like, it just seems like so many of the parenting books are being written by people who, you know, to a hundred years ago, people would say, why would you listen to that person? <laughs> they're, they're an economist. Like, why would you listen to an economist on how to raise your kids? But there are these books that are out there that are super popular about how to sort of train your children or, or get your children um, to, to behave using, you know, market forces or, or things like that, that have, be, that have become sort of common use amongst parents today. So I'm, I'm not in a position to say whether those techniques are the right techniques, but I do feel like I'm in a position where I can try to explore why these kinds of books have become so popular and why people are glomming on to this kind of advice rather than the traditional advice. You know, I just had an idea as you were sharing that of a mastermind group led by parents who are in a different stage of parenting or have completed the, the, the little part of the journey, which means the babies and toddlers and when you're starting to really train them because they've gone through it. It's almost like a mentor mentee type of thing. So I'll give you that idea and let you, <laughs> you with it. But that seems to be kind of what you're saying is like getting people together or listening to people who have been on this journey and can give you more practical and less philosophical, if you will, mm -hmm. um, real time, not even, I don't even even know if advice is the, the, the right word, but real-time stories and situations that you can learn from and, and create your own parenting method out of or learn from what worked and what doesn't work and you know what to do when it doesn't work. So tell me real quick the significance of this title for you. So really quickly, long days, short years, I assumed it was like my editor was the one who first brought up that title. And when he said it, I said, Oh yeah, that, I, I think I find that expression so funny. And I had assumed it was this super old expression. Like I, I thought it was something that had been said for, you know, hundreds of years. But when I actually tried to look up the sourcing of it, it's, it's a very recent expression. Um, and I think it's the more I thought about it, well, yeah, sure. It is a recent expression because to me, this is almost a perfect encapsulation of the, of the the stress or the anxiety of modern parenting the days are long but the years are short so it's acknowledging how hard it is but it's also acknowledging it's going to be gone before you before you know it so you better do a good job <laughs> and you better appreciate it and stop 
waiting because it's going to be over. You know, most of the times when it's said, it's said by somebody who's already done with the job and is saying, oh, you know, appreciate what you have now because the days are long and the years are short. And so I, I think it really does encapsulate both parts of the, of the modern parenting anxiety, how hard it is and how difficult it can be, the long days, but also how precious it feels and how fleeting it feels when you get something right because the years are the years are flying by very quickly. And so I think this is this, you know, eternal struggle that parents today are feeling. It's like, why am I having so much problems? Why am I not enjoying this the way I wish I'd uh, and always envision myself enjoying parenting? And why am I also feeling upset that this is going to all be over <laughs> before I know it? it's like, wh what do I really want? And I think that the title tries to, to get to that confusion as to what we want. You know, it sounds like these mo modern parenting is missing out on a lot of the, the joy and the fun that needs to be gleaned through the hard stuff. Well, you know what, let's take a short break. This is a good time to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk about parenting being a verb and what that means. So stick with us. We'll be right back after this short break. <laughs> what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. A peaceful life is something most people only ever dream of, but can never achieve. Using tools from ancient wisdom can help you achieve that peace. Listen to the Peace Bridge Talk Show on the Voice America Influencers Channel to learn what those tools are and how to implement them. The Peace Bridge Talk Show, hosted by Amrita Kailas, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Andy Bomback, the author of Long Days, Short Years, which is a book about parenting. So before we went to break, you know, we were talking about the stress and anxiety that a lot of parents are facing today, really wanting to get it right in raising their children. And I remember as an elder parent myself, the advice I always gave younger parents was 
especially when we got to those teen years, teenage years was make sure you have fun at every stage of development of your child, because even though it's stressful and the days do feel long, like you said, the years are short and just find the humor in some some of the stress because laughter has always saved me. So one of the things that um, I've heard you say is parenting as a verb. Now, in my mind, parenting or to parent is a verb. Is this something new or what are your thoughts about yeah. parenting being a verb? So the, the, the verb form of parent is a relatively new entry into the English language. So the, the first appearance was somewhere in the late 1950s. But if, if you actually use Google's uh, analytics to chart how the verb has been used, it was barely used in the 50s, 60s. And then right around the mid 70s, it just took off as, as a verb. Um, and it was no longer talking about a parent, but it was talking about how to parent. And this parenting form of the verb really started to take off in the mid 70s and then really just has continued to rise in terms of how it's used used now more as a verb than, than as a noun. And to me, it's an important cultural shift because what it's saying is having kids is no longer something you are, but it's something that you do. And it's something that takes effort and it's something that you can actually hone your skill at and you can actually practice that. So um, I, I had mentioned earlier that um, it was my editor who suggested using long days, short years as the, as the title. My original title was just parent and then in parentheses verb. And I really just wanted to write about this, this use of the verb because to me, that is in many ways what is the, the, the crux of being a modern parent to me is that you no longer view it as a calling or you no longer view it as sort of this role, but you view it really as an active job, as an active pursuit. Um, and yeah, it takes work. It takes work. It's and just and it, like any relationship, you, yeah. have, you are in a relationship with this little human that you are training to go into their verb of adulting at some point. Yeah. Because <laughs> we talked about that earlier. But yeah, and and people who think that it doesn't take the the amount of effort and skill and skill honing, you know, we're not, they don't come, kids don't come with handbooks and we don't come, you know, we are not given a manual. Unfortunately yeah. we should, but not a lot of people are equipped to parent, even though they are parents. That's right. And but I think what is what the what the cultural shift has been is just this recognition that you that you you can and should be doing that honing, um, because I think, you know, in the, the the parents of the 1950s and 1960s, they didn't feel that pressure, and that's why they weren't using parenting as a verb. You know, they were parents, but they let the kids do a lot more than today's parents do. Um, and even in my own childhood, which was not in the 50s and 60s, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, um, the amount of independence that my brothers and I had compared to the way my kids are being raised is just, it's its starkingly different. You know, I, I always joke to my wife when we're like getting ready to leave, 
and we're like packing up snacks and each kid's getting their own water bottle with their sticker with their name on it on their water bottle. I'm like, I don't remember ever even leaving the house with food or water whenever I left the house as a kid. Like I fact, like I I remember you know, being out with my parents and being like, I'm hungry. And my parents say, okay, well, dinner's three hours from now. And or I'm thirsty. My mom used to make this joke, like, and it was a joke, but she would just say like, you, if you're thirsty, you just drink your own spit. Like you won't be thirsty anymore. <laughs> and these were like funny. normal, these were normal conversations between parents and kids. When I grew up, if, if you overheard a parent now in a playground telling a child who said that, you know, mom, dad, I'm thirsty and said, drink your own spit. Everybody would turn their heads and start parent shaming that <laughs> whether either out loud or, or or internally, but they were like, I can't believe this person forgot to bring the water bottle. You know, I can't believe this kid's not getting water and they're, you know, required eight ounces uh, of water every two hours, you know? So you there's, know, what, there's- what you said though, and I, I just want to pause for a moment, is the parent shaming. Because one of the questions I did want to ask you is why are parents so much more anxious today? Because like you said, back then you had a child and you figured it out. You know, you didn't stress yourself out over, you know, am I raising this child right? You had your values and and priorities that you instilled in your child and you, you know, hopefully fed them and kept them clean and tried not to kill them and, and, you know, and sent them to school and you made sure that they were in neighborhoods that had decent schooling and all of that. But there is that level of fear and anxiety and pressure to get it right now that wasn't around back when our parents raised us. Yeah. What did you discover about that? Well, I, I don't I don't think parent shaming is a distinctly modern phenomenon. I, I, I think parent shaming probably has been going on for, for many generations, but I think the amount of voices that a, a current parent can hear shaming him or her has expanded remarkably. So I am sure that my parents felt some, you know, judgment from their own parents, from my grandparents. And I, I, I think that was probably very common, you know. You, you it's know. usually from the mother-in-law, though. Right, so right. The parent shaming, right? Right. Somebody's but that's parent. All... Why are you doing it that way? Why don't you do Correct. this to the baby? Why didn't right. you swallow exactly. them this I, way? All of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the, all, the, all, all the baby needs is a teaspoon of cod liver oil and they'll be better. But that that is sort of a vertical parent shaming, right? It just, it's all staying within the family, within the house. But now the parent shaming is almost like heliocentric where it's coming from all sides. So you're not just hearing about what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong from, from your mother or your mother-in-law. You're hearing about it from social media um, and you're hearing about it from, you know, popular culture, you know, TV shows and movies, which are sort of saying, this is the way to do it. Um, and you're you're just again you're 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 flooded with books and podcasts and other you know blogs that are saying this is the way I raise my kids and this is this is how it's working. And I, I think the idea that you're always in a performative role as a parent to me is what's is a very interesting thing. You know, they, they, you know, your kids to the playground and one of them has a meltdown and. This is this is going to happen to every every parent at some point. You're ready to go. They don't want to go. You forgot to bring their favorite snack. They want that toy that the other kid's using and the other kid's not sharing it. And your kid has a meltdown. All of a sudden, not only are you trying to deal with your child's meltdown and make sure that your child sort of can get through this in a way that is is appropriate, 
but you have this feeling that all the other parents at the playground are watching how you deal with the meltdown and are judging how you deal with the meltdown. And it's, it's a, like I said, to me, this idea of parent shaming sort of expanding beyond just the, the house and, and the family has become so accepted now, you know, like it's, it's normal for people to just watch other parents trying to, to deal with, with, uh, with a, a tantruming child. It's almost like we, we, we feel like since we, we have it so hard, we're entitled to a piece of schadenfreude of watching another parent struggle. So, you know, it, it's, it's become a norm. And then you, you get the flip side, which is Instagram and Facebook and Twitter uh, and Snapchat, where people put on these cultivated, perfect images of their family, which if you've ever done it yourself, you know it's staged because you went through about 10 pictures before you picked the one that was absolutely perfect. And you went through you know, tw 20 or so possible captions to the photo before getting the perfect one. And so that's another version of parent shaming just by like saying, look how good we're doing it. Um, and, and I think if you if you get into one of these sort of like sorrow, going down the rabbit hole, looking through Facebook yeah, and don't, Instagram don't and everybody's scroll. happy families, don't that's scroll. a version of parent shaming as well. And yeah. so to me, what what the modern parent is dealing with in terms of parent shaming versus what parents generations ago are dealing with is just so many more stakeholders, so yeah. many more people it's multiplied. are giving a voice. Yeah, it's multiplied with the advent of social media. You know, there, Inc. Magazine did an article in 2018. Um, I forget the name of it, but basically they did a study. I think they did a Twitter study, which um, the results were that most of the people that were happiest looking on their social media were the ones that were dealing with suicidal thoughts and depression wow. and, and mental illness because people were, like you said, curating and cultivating what they put out there, but it was literally the happiest ones were the ones that had the, the most problems, if you will. And so when you know this, first of all, I found myself the other day having a shift in my energy and, and feeling a little down. And I realized I had spent way too much time scrolling and looking at what other people were doing. And then you start to compare what, you know, why aren't I this far in my business or why don't I look like this? Or why did I, you know, have that piece of brownie today when I should have, you know, stayed keto or like whatever it is we put on ourselves, we start shooting on ourselves, shooting, S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G on ourselves um, by scrolling. And then the discipline is, and I do this with my clients all the time, is to not be in that scrolling energy when you feel that, recognize that, limit your time. But also, also we need to really be kind to ourselves a lot when it comes to our performance as parents, mm -hmm. as spouses, as human beings, as employees, as employers, to know that we are all human we all make mistakes and what's, what, what will set us apart is what we learn from those mistakes and how we, how we become better from those very mistakes. There was, uh, you might've heard this saying in your research for your, your book, by the time um, 
by the time you learn how to raise your children, they're already grown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by the time you figure it out, right? Yeah. So what was the one thing that you learned or realized while writing or researching this book? Yeah. The one, th- the, the one thing that I wish I had known earlier is, is, is that kids are much more resilient and deal much more, can, can deal with much more independence than, than we are giving them. Um, and, and as you said, a lot of times you learn this after the fact. Um, but I think that's one of the few silver linings of the pandemic is just watching how resilient kids have been and watching how well they've been able to use unstructured time that previously was consumed by activities that they no longer could do. Um, now, fortunately, a lot of those activities are back and they get to enjoy them. But there was a stretch of time for about a year, at least in, in my area, where kids were basically had nothing to do. And they really did an amazing job of just entertaining themselves, finding activities. My kids would you know, take a hike in the, in the woods behind my house. Like I never remember them doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, in the book, I relay this um, time we went to a park where my daughter convinced me to let everybody just bring rain boots and go into this really dirty stream and just get super dirty. Um, and she's like, I'll, I'll make sure everybody bathes afterwards. And it was, it was just an, an amazing morning. And it was, you know, all her lead on that. And I think the resilience of kids is, is something that we really underestimate and underappreciate. Um, they're much stronger than we think. And, um, and I think, you know, what you said about kindness being, so key is sometimes I think we we do get so wrapped up in all the intricacies and all the um, you know minutia of getting the parenting job right, and we sort of forget you know the forest for the trees. Where like really, what we're really trying to do is raise kids to be kind and raise kids to be to be loving and to raise kids who you know not only love the people in their house but love their neighbors and love their community and those are the types of things that I think we, we need to go back to in many ways. Um, just the basics of raising good, good people and not necessarily have to raise the most proficient at foreign language and the, the fastest on, in track and the, the best pianist and, you know, the, the gourmet chef at age 10. Like, but, you know, whether, whether we really should just be focusing on on getting the, the, the most empathetic and loving kids um, to, to adulthood is maybe our, our, our core challenge. Yeah, yeah, so true, so true. Well, we're gonna take another short break at this time. And I wanna address what you said about um, children being resilient. I saw a post uh, the other day, just on, on, on some of the issues that children are dealing with right now that have us question, how resilient are they really? So I want to address what's going on with the youth of today, especially when it comes to their mental health and wellness and some of the violence that we're seeing in in young men, especially the 18 to 22 year olds. So stay with us guys. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? 
Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. If you feel stuck, exhausted, or just unsure of how to handle everything at once that life is throwing your way, you'll want to listen to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most with Eva Medelec. Eva and her guests will help you learn to focus on the most important priorities in your life so you can handle them one at a time instead of being constantly overwhelmed. What's Important Now, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. All right, everybody. We are back in the amazing conversation with Andy Bombach. And it just brought to mind, you know, I know your book is really about mostly early childhood, but if you look at some of the things that are in the media now and um, real life media and television and Netflix and all of that stuff, I want to ask you, first of all, have you seen, I think it's on HBO Max, Euphoria. I have not. I'm sorry. I, I, we, I, my, my, my family watches an, an incredibly small amount of TV. It's, I think we're, I, I, I think the last show I really watched that was like current might have been Mad Men. So that's how long ago it was. So okay. I, I'm, I'm not a very good TV person. I heard about this show and I watched it out of curiosity because I heard people saying, if you're a parent of teenagers, do not watch this show. Do not watch this show. And this show um, stars the actress Zendaya. I think she won an Emmy for her role as a high schooler who is addicted to drugs, like heavy duty drugs. Um, and it also shows just some of the things those teenagers are getting into. And, you know, their parents are are part of it. And these some of the parents are hot messes, too, which means the teenagers are hot, hot messes as well. And so when you look about, when you look at the foundation that the early childhood parenting is building into our teenagers, what advice would you be giving parents of young children so that we don't have an out of control teenager when they get to that age? Well, that's a, I do have the benefit, as I mentioned earlier, that I have a stepdaughter. So I'm going to go with what my wife did because she did an amazing job um, with with my stepdaughter. Um, I met her when she was nine and she was already an amazing kid. So my wife, I think, takes full credit for this because I do. I think you, you plant the seeds early. And 
they have a relationship which has persisted now and, and now she's in her 20s um, where honesty is sort of the basic. There's, there's never a question about being honest. Um, everything is honest and on the table in a, in a very non-judgmental manner. And, I, and with our own kids, that's the same thing we're trying to instill upon them is we need you to be honest with us. We, we need that, you know, even if we're upset with you for what you're going to tell us, it doesn't mean we don't love you. It doesn't mean, you know, we stop caring about you. But we, the only thing that's going to really get us off track is if we're not being honest with each other. And so I would hope that if you can have that sort of relationship with your kids, that they will, they will share with you and be honest with you, both the good and the bad, you know, to be able to say, you know, I did this and it, and I, and it was great, or I completely messed up. This is something I did that was wrong. And I need you to know it that that level of transparency will lay the groundwork for teenage years and young adult years where, where you're still able to go to your parent for help and still able to go to your parent for guidance and still able to go to your parent just for the, the, the benefit of being able to, sh- to share something that you may not have felt comfortable sharing with anybody else. Um, so I, I think that idea of I'm going to tell you, and, and, and I do this with my, you know, it's a 360 degree thing. Sometimes I'll make mistakes and I'll go right to my kids and say, I really made a mistake there. I shouldn't have done that. I didn't realize you had already asked mom about that. And she had said no. And then you came to me and I said, yes. And that was a mistake on my part. I should have checked with your mom before doing that. It's something as simple as that. Or sometimes if I lose my temper and I just yell, which fortunately I've gotten better at. But what, what, I, what I do is after I yell, I'll go to their room and I'll say, I was really angry at you but I should not have yelled like that. I, I, I am working really hard not to yell. This is something that's really important to me not to yell. And I messed up. And I'm asking you to, to forgive me for yelling at you. I'm going to let you know how disappointed I, I am with you, but I'm going to tell you it in a regular voice. So like mm-hmm. that idea of just being as transparent as you can be, I would hope sort of models for them how relationships should be when they get older. So it's a role modeling of behavior is what I'm hearing you should yeah. you say. And, um, you know, I love what you say about the honesty and the transparency and really setting a, a, a foundation for open, honest communication. And it brought to mind this memory that I had. Um, my daughter was probably 16 or 17. And I remember her calling me at work because I had the call and check in when they got home from school. And I was working on a patient. My patients always knew that when my kids called, you know, whatever was on their teeth needed to wait before I scraped it off. Right. And she called and she's like, mom, I think I'm ready for sex. We need to talk about birth control. And I remember thinking, holy crap. I don't know anything about modern birth control (laughs) at this age because I was completely done with having children. And I made sure that that was possible. And I remember all of my patients, when I shared that to me, I was like, I was like, Oh my God, they think I'm the cool mom. And I'm really not. (laughs) And I was dating my now husband at the time. And he came into our lives when the girls were like 12 and 15. So he came into the full Harbone estrogen filled uh, situation And when I told him, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. I'm not as cool as I thought I was. This is really freaking me out. And he said, 
oh, thank God, maybe she'll be nicer to us now. And I'm like, no, that's not what that means. But the fact that my daughter felt so comfortable that she wanted to, before she did anything, to talk to me about what her options were. And of course, I just like, you know what, we're going to go to the doctor and figure this out together about what's best for your body at the stage in development and, um, and talk about this. But then she did one step further. And I want you to meet him first. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm doing something right, obviously, because she really like, this is textbook. I would have never done this with my parents yeah. ever in a million years. It was always sneaking and hiding and all of that stuff. And, you know, this is a funny story. I remember when she did bring him over to meet him, to meet us, his feet were so big that he knocked over the dog's bowl and dish and everything. And he was so nervous and not to get stereotypical. I was like, Oh my God, my poor child. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the honesty piece that the making it comfortable for your children to communicate with their parents before anyone else without the judgment. Like when you said, you know, you may be disappointed in their behavior, but their behavior gets to be separate from who they are. Yeah. You're not disappointed in them, but the behavior, the action, what they said, what they did, never in who they are. So um, that's just something I thought would be cute to share at this stage now that your little ones aren't there yet. So yeah. call me when they get that. Uh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not. I'm not looking forward to that. We're, let's talk about the mommy and daddy roles for a second. Yeah. Okay. How have you seen these roles evolve and change over the years? Because back in the olden days, if you will, you know, it was always assumed that dad would go to work and mom would stay home. Or if both parents worked, there would be childcare or, or a grandparent or something mm-hmm. helping. And I know I've noticed a lot of men are choosing the stay-at-home dad role. And moms are going out there in the workforce. And so talk to me about what you're noticing. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's an evolving, it's an evolving field, but it's still very heavily weighted on the moms. And I, I think that it, we have to start with that. Is that the the societal expectations on moms remains completely different from society's expectations of dads. And um, my wife has this great line where she's like, you know, moms have to be moms all the time. Like dads get to be dads when they want to be dads. And to some degree, that's, that it still is sort of the, the global expectation. Like if a dad's doing something with their kids, it's like, isn't that great that he's doing that with the kids? Whereas when moms do it, it's like, oh yeah, of course, that's like, that's, that's your expectation. And even in like my own family where we both work, my wife, my wife and I, we met in training. We're exactly, you know, equals. Well, she's actually a little bit higher up at me at the hospital now because her career has taken off. But, in, but I mean, from a job standpoint, we're, we're essentially colleagues um, and our schedules are equally busy. Hers is even busier than mine. We try to do a 50-50 split, um, but it's never really 50-50. And even if it's 50-50 in terms of hours, it's not 50-50 in terms of, you know, what I, what I would call like the emotional burden of parenting, you know, like my wife takes on a lot more of the emotional burdening of parenting than I do. And that's sort of a luxury that I have because 
she just why, has, why do you think that you have that luxury though? Because I'm a father and not a mother. I really do think that expectation is still there mm-hmm. that the mother, it, and, and you know, there's a really interesting book that just came out called Essential Labor by Angela Garbus, where she talks about, and it's called Mothering as Social Change. But what, what she does, which is so interesting, is she says, okay, the, ver- the verb should not be parenting. The verb should be mothering. And we should just assume, we should just ex- accept that mothering is the right verb because that's, that's how it's been, that's how it's been done right in the past. And that's how it will continue to be done right. But we should, we should allow a lot of people into the mothering verb. So you don't have to be, you don't have to be a woman to be a mother. That's what I was going to say, because, you know, there's a lot of same sex parenting going, um, you know, exactly. It's more acceptable now, you know, back a while ago, it wasn't even legal, but thank God um, that. And her point is that you can, you don't even have to be the parent. So yeah, the father, a father can, can, can do mothering. Um, the mother can do mothering an auntie, a grandparent, yeah. uh, uh, a nanny, a very good daycare. She, mm-hmm. So she's like, you know, expand the definition, but call it mothering because that's the right way to do it. The way we've seen mothers do it in the past. Um, can we but, call it but, nurturing? It's <laughs> a level of nurturing. I yeah. would, I would assume. But I, I think her point, and I don't want to speak for her, but I think her point is that by, by calling it mothering, it, calls to light the amount of work women have done in this field, in this area, and the amount of unpaid and uncredited work they've done um, in this. And so um, I, I, as, as a man, I, I, I would, I would love to be, you know, someone say you're doing a great job mothering because like then I would know that I'm doing it right. So, um, but I, I, I think the point is that men are getting more involved with raising their kids and that's a great thing, but we still have such a long way to go, you know, to get to that, idea that it's truly a shared responsibility and it's truly a shared role. This is something I aspire to. This is something I work really hard to do, to, to do the same sort of emotional nurturing or mothering that my wife does. But, you know, well, I, I put this. a lot of effort into that. What is it going to take for fathers, if you will, to have the same level of emotional investment? Because that's the way I hear it, it, it's what you choose. It's personal. What is it going to take to have that emotional involvement or investment in the parenting process that raises you up to a level of mothering? What is that going to take? What does that look like? I don't know what it looks like for everybody else. I know what it looks like for me, you know, for me, and it's part of the thing that brought me to, to working on this book and is to me, it was this idea that I wanted to help create a happy household. I wanted to make sure that my children were growing up feeling loved all the time, feeling secure all the time, um, and feel like they were getting supported in anything they wanted to do. Um, And so it was just, it was, it did feel like a calling to me. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know how that would apply to everybody else. I, I know that um, that calling came a little bit with some urging from my wife, saying, "You know, this is a really hard job if you try to do it by yourself." I tried it myself with <laughs> with my first child, and I, it 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 can it can be done a lot better if you're both on the same page, both working towards the same goals. And that's something that she and I have worked really hard on. And you know, I, I as I said. Early in the book, it was my wife who sort of helped push me into this field. 
because she was saying to me, you do such a great job as a doctor. Your patients adore you. You know, your patients, um, you know, feel so lucky to have you as their doctor. Don't you want your kids to feel the same way about you as a, as a father? Um, that was a mic drop moment. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and so that's part of the reason why I said, I'm going to work on this the way I worked on doctoring. You know, I I wrote a book about doctoring. I learned so much about it. I'm going to write a book about parenting. I'm going to learn so much about parenting. I do feel like I'm not a great parent by any stretch of the imagination. I don't feel like I'm an expert, but I do feel like I've gotten better in the process of working. Well, it's a journey. You know, we all know it's a journey. There's, there's really no complete destination to where you're done. So where can folks get your book, Andy? And they should it be gonna able to, <laughs> it's going to drop on uh, it. So the book comes out on August 9th. Um, mm-hmm. They can buy it anywhere. They buy books online. Um, all the major retailers online will have it. Um, and most local bookstores should have it as well. And I, I also hope all public libraries will have it as well. So awesome. uh, I would like to say you could get it anywhere, um, but it shouldn't be too hard to find. But we can find it on Amazon and all of and all those places absolutely and tell us the name of the book again it is long days short years a cultural history of modern parenting but you can just look up long days short years and and find it awesome so i want to thank you for the work that you do supporting parents and and the challenging task of parenting the verb and i want to thank our listeners for choosing to listen to the show today hopefully you learned something today that'll help you get clear on what matters most to you and If you love this show, please join us again next week. Share this out with your friends, subscribe, like, give us some comments. We appreciate you joining us every week. And so as usual, I want to leave you with a quote. This one is from Heraclitus. Not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but his quote or her quote is time is a game played beautifully by children. So until next time, bye for now. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week. 